Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Product Design Podcast. We've got Brian Schmieski with us. He is the founder and chief instigator of Zurb. Brian, super good to have you here, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on and agreeing to talk with us. No, there's not an agreement. I just decided it would be fun to talk to you. It's awesome to be able to share my know-how. It's surprising that people want to know what I have to say. That, that's even more impressive. Well, Brian, you have been in in the game for quite some time. For those who are listening who don't know, why don't you give a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sort of like a dinosaur. It's 25 years this year, so officially 25 years. So I started in 98, learned product design from the perspective of physical product and understanding how to capture feedback from people and be able to build products with their needs in mind. And my background is basically mechanical engineering minus the thermo with marketing kind of sprinkled in. And I started with with that in the, in the toy industry. And I sharpened my teeth learning how to sell ideas. So I was a toy inventor. It was pretty awesome as a first job, being able to come up with concepts and sell them. And that process of making something and getting a feedback loop and building prototypes and trying to figure out how something worked. I was just enamored in that process. It just was super cool. And when the web came around, I'm like, holy moly, you can do this and get feedback like almost instantly. You know, when you have a product, it takes oftentimes six months to nine months of a feedback loop. And we would make product concept toys and it would take six months for a prototype to come by. That, that, that's totally changed now because there's a lot of prototyping on demand, but that just, I got super excited about that. And I realized the process of making something and using design thinking way back when could be applied to the web in a slightly different way. And that it's sort of a zero sum game. And so Zerb was born with this idea that we're going to take a product design mentality to the web and figure out how do people make, make things. And that was very confusing up front because people wanted brochures. They wanted like magazine layouts in the web. And I was like, okay, well, we'll have to use stuff. Like they have to figure things out. And so. I'd say the first 10 years of our existence was really just sort of helping people figure out like making stuff in a product oriented way online is very different than coming up with like visual layouts, right? And so we were product designers before there was really product design on, on the web. And this UX concept as an idea wasn't, that, that wasn't really a thing. So that's where we started. And we were fortunate to be able to be in a time where, you know, there was a lot of people trying to figure this out and a lot of companies didn't really have built-in teams of designers. And so we were augmenting, you know, an engineering team or a marketing team trying to build crazy things. So that was sort of the impetus of Zurb. And, you know, we pretty much stuck to that, but we've done a lot of products and things along the way that uh, as we've learned this stuff, how do we apply it to our own own work and software? So, so here we yeah. are 25 years later. Wow. So what gave you the idea or the desire to start Zurb in the first place? Well, I tell all my employees and stuff that they learned from all my mistakes. I don't think I really had a clear idea of what I was doing. I'm just fascinated by this idea that I could make things and get feedback and people wanted to pay us to figure these problems out. So I don't know if I really had a clear agenda. I didn't really know what a business was. And thank goodness, like I, I started at a time where not everyone knew what was going on. So I learned the hard way through making a lot of probably poor choices and bad decisions, but you know, the industry was pretty much like not well developed and not well understood. So, you know, sharpened my teeth in that regard. So I think why, I guess my personality, I'm a risk taker. I enjoy the unknown and, and helping people sort of clarify a fog in front of them and understand that you can do it and, you know, you shouldn't fear it. And, and there's amazing things that can be produced when you sort of take that risk and. Yeah, I've always found that fascinating. So I, I sort of jumped into building a business without actually knowing what I was doing. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, you know, 
I've hired a lot of people that have gotten business skills and there's there's real important things like accounting and things that you need to you know, operate. I, I'm fortunate to be able to rely on other people to do parts of that. But, you know, you, there's no better way to learn business than through the business. It, it, right. you know, everything is a learning exercise and you can basically build a case study after case study in your head of, of ways to do things and, you know, teach your employees the best approaches based on those, those lessons. So, you know, it, it's, it's not an entirely bad way to start a business, but if you're, you know, 22 or 23 trying to do it and trying to solve problems for a billion dollar companies, sometimes that uh, is a hard way to learn, but I persevered and was able to push through that. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, over the years, I'm sure you've had lots of highs and lows. Any things come to mind about running a company for 25 years that stand out to you? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the cool thing about, you know, being in Silicon Valley and being able to work in, in this space, we've had, we've been fortunate to work with a lot of cool companies, right? There's just so many new and, and fun things that get, you know, built and made. Sometimes useless stuff, not going to lie, but other times, you know, working on things that have impact. But I have lots of stories. My first, you know, sort of big one when it came to understanding business is providing services for billionaires. So not millionaires, billionaires. So there's a whole different mindset that goes along with, you know, people who have created wealth and created, you know, those sort of businesses that, that create immense value across the globe. But my first experience in, Instead of driving an executive team, I was, you know, early in the career, maybe 23, 24, and had the experience of, of trying to get a website on, you know, launched with a newly minted public company that, you know, in the early 2000s, you're still using your uncle for a lot of this stuff, right? It's not something that, you know, there's tons of web development companies, you know, operating and, and knowing how to do this. And so jumped in to support a company. Funny enough, I was invited to a meeting that nobody put me on the calendar, let me know. And, and I uh, was told I was supposed to be running the meeting. So I lived 15 minutes away from this company, sprinted over there. There's a whole executive team sitting at a big, long table and two billionaires sitting at the table, one at each end of the table. And I uh, was supposed to be facilitating a brainstorm. <laughs> what, is, what is this website supposed to be? So I got up at the end of the table and was like, okay. We're going to figure out what this website is. So immediately the sales guy's like, starts talking and is complaining about his sales funnel. I'm like, hmm, okay, where do I go with this? Like, how's the website going to support this kind of sales funnel? Then someone else mentioned something in HR was talking about, you know, talent and having problems with talent. I kid you not, literally like a minute and a half into this thing, the billionaire says, hmm, I think we're done here. And I, I was at the head of the table. I was like, okay, what do I do now? Do I sit down? Do I keep waiting for instructions? Where do we go with this? So politely took a seat and, and then sat down and started, you know, taking notes and trying to figure out, okay, well, how, how, how does this work? So my first larger experience working with a company was humbled pretty, pretty quickly and trying to understand how to drive an agenda, how to help a group of people sort of sort through stuff. Failed miserably. <laughs> it wasn't much of what I said, but knowing how to prepare and knowing how to get groups of people kind of collaborating together that have many, many, many years of experience and, and expertise, but not, not really knowing how to facilitate that. That was a humbling experience. And I realized quite quickly that this is very much about understanding how to get feedback and get groups of people working together and knowing that you're building trust with them over time. So. You know, that, that experience really slapped me down fast. And I realized I needed to be spending much more time figuring out how to support the, the process of doing something and, and building trust with people to make great things. Yeah. So if you, uh, if you had to do that over, have a retake, what would you have done differently? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the funny thing is when you get groups of people like that, you have to have a lots of smaller meetings to seed them with ideas and get them feeling comfortable to share those ideas with the larger group. And so, yeah, you probably, you, know, you would do five smaller little meetings and you do some exercises to warm them up to kind of really facilitate what they're looking for. And those particular types of meetings, those aren't really brainstorm meetings. Those are about alignment of, of bigger ideas. And so 
you're not going to get groups of people at an executive level finding that alignment without already having worked through all those problems ahead of time. So, you know, that is a lesson and, and sort of a process to figure out how to get the alignment to the bigger table isn't about a brainstorm. It's not really it mislabeled as a brainstorm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, thinking about when you started and I don't know if you journaled or anything through this time, but I'm curious if you had plans or thoughts or visions of what Zerb was going to be and what you wanted it to be, and then comparing it to what it is today. Did you hit your goal? Did you surpass it? Tell me about your your experience and your vision. Yeah, I mean, I'm a creator. I like making things for people. I enjoy that process. And so in my mind, you know, when I first started, I think ever since I was like a teenager, I always had this vision of of having a building and having people work in it and making things and creating awesome things and be able to enjoy that process of just going in every day and trying to figure that out. And yeah, we achieved that. And I had purchased the building and renovated it. And it, in my original envision, I had a, a stream next to it and exposed brick uh, to the building. But you know, these visualizations are kind of funny because you'd think, okay, well, I need to get to certain revenue or I need to create this certain product or I need to do yada, yada, yada. My objective was always to be able to put myself in a place to, to make amazing things, to, to do things and enjoy that process of my environment and being able to work with people who are really passionate about making things. It's just really fun to do that when someone wants to elevate sort of the work and be able to do that. So that was my sort of vision. And so when you first start a business, you think that's a place you get to. And we got there. The pandemic kind of created us a different scenario. But what you realize is that's not a place you arrive at. That's a way of being. And so you can be that every day and choose to be that and focus on that. And that's sort of after 25 years, I realized that it, it's really about sustaining a way of, of being and, and having values that you want to sort of project and working with people on a daily basis. They also have to be on the same page with you. And if you could find that, um, that's a rare gift indeed to be able to make and do amazing things for people with people. And I'm an introvert and I'm a a person that could toil away on a, on a thing all day long. So if I could clarify that, I think you think in terms of objects, things, achievements, places, when you first start a business and then you start to realize it's, it's about sustaining the thing you like the most about it and figuring out processes that, that give you that every day. Yeah. So what is your favorite thing to do? I think a lot of people start, you know, businesses because they, maybe they're really good at design or maybe they just want to make a lot of money. So they want to start a startup or a business. What is it for you that is the most fun thing about being the founder, the chief instigator at Zurb that, uh, that you finds fulfillment for you? Yeah. Well, I, 2006, I said, I'm not doing a job anymore and I'm on a mission. So what that means is I want to be really focused on the ideas and, and sort of sustaining that vision in a way that supports other people's growth and they can see the world differently and be able to envision either a new service that they have in their mind, a new skill they're trying to develop, a new product idea. And I really enjoy that process either directly with an employee where we're trying to figure out, you know, how you scale skill sets to get to some place or teaching about how business operates or works. That's, you know, I get a lot of fulfillment out of that or with the customer trying to help them achieve a goal that maybe they didn't know was possible or right? they hadn't envisioned. And so when you work with people and you get that trust and you're able to find that common ground and you're able to collaborate, it's, I find myself really enjoying that and being in my happy place where I can find contentment in the work. And it takes a lot of work. It's not something that's just given. You don't get like great projects or a great thing to work on. And it works that way. You know, like you have to really put time and energy into facilitating that and building that trust with people to open them up, to give them a little bit of you and being able to have that. So in my mind, that's the nirvana of what I do is, is being able to kind of create new spaces for people to operate in and work in and be able to, you know, visualize things that they couldn't before. Yeah. That's really cool. Is there, you know, anything that you look back and you're like, man, it was really good that I did this. I didn't know this was going to be the right decision to to do or pull the trigger on, but any any kind of lucky breaks like that where you 
all the yeah. time. Every day is a lucky break. I mean, <laughs> true. If you ever read the failure list, you know, that people say, don't do this, don't do this. I've done every one of them, right? It's like a checklist of like my life. So the way I look at it is just be fortunate to keep doing what you're doing. But I think early on for the people that are creating stuff, I didn't, you know, I didn't know the, how important like in-presence stuff was or, or like building a relationship or whatnot. But I, I recall getting a, a deal and I was like, okay, I didn't have a flight budget or any other kind of like budget to like figure this thing out. But I'm like, I'm getting on a plane to fly to New York. I did a red eye, you know, got a cheap flight, put a suit because this is a financial institution, put a suit in my bag, put the suit on. It's like 6.30 a.m. in the airport bathroom filled myself up with coffee and then went straight to the office to do the meetings to try and create more of a working relationship with them in a way that they could understand how, you know, I was thinking what, what we could do together. But I think when you're really passionate about something and you want to kind of lean into it, sometimes you have to go for it and just sort of do it. And I, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to be there. Like, I think I just made the decision and, and a day got on the red eye and then I was there. And so, Maybe didn't know totally what I was doing, but it, you know, the company knew I was in it. Like, yeah, I wanted to do this thing that they had in front of me. Very cool. Very cool. Any advice to anyone out there who, who wants to follow in your path, maybe chart their own course, build their own company or organization? Rinse and repeat. It's oftentimes people think it's like you have ideas and then you go do them. Our longevity as a company has been because you have to keep trying it and doing 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 it. And doing it. And you got to wake up at 5 a.m. And, and do the thing and try and do it better. And I tend to think that uh, there's no shortcuts. It's like, you know, you ha- you're going to make mistakes. You have to keep going through and make those mistakes, but you need to be able to keep trying to figure out how to get it right and how to fix it. And it's not for the lighthearted. It's, it's you know, you need to be wanting to do this and you have to go through that struggle and accept that that's part of what it is. So a lot of what I do is is putting out fires and that still doesn't change. You know, 25 years later, I, I'm still putting out fires, you know, and that's, that's what you have to do. And so you don't get good at that by avoiding it or thinking that it's just going to go away. You lean into the heat. You push yourself into yeah. it. So, you know, that's everything from a billing issue to employee not performing right or, or having issues to life problems, you know, creating gaps and things to having a sales pipeline to, you know, pissing someone off in a customer relationship. There's, you know, any number <laughs> of things that, that can happen, you know, and yeah. doing anything that's meaningful or purposeful or is making a difference, you're going to run into that. There's just no way to do it. You can't work in a vacuum where everything is perfect. It doesn't happen. So, yeah, if you're going to start a business, you need to be willing to accept that your craft is one part of it. And a lot of people as agency owners or people doing this start from the assumption that it's the skill set that's desired and they're going to give those skills to whoever's purchasing them. That is part of it. And knowing how to do that at a high level is incredibly important. But the other part is just, you know, working through those, those flames and knowing how to, to show your employees, your customers that you're straight up, that you're going to deal with those things and work with them to, to get resolutions and figure out how to do it effectively. Yeah. You know, I think most businesses, what is it like half of all businesses or majority of businesses fail within the first five years. Was there ever a time where you thought you're going to have to shut, shut the doors and close up shop? Well, the, the at age sort of funny thing is every agency is three months from failure. Yes. Right, three of us. I say that same thing, <laughs> right? Because you're either trying to grow and create something more dynamic, or you're sort of in a holding pattern, whatnot. So you're always trying to leverage capital, and it's mainly people costs. So I've done ups and downs of that. For the most part, I'm running our business much more conservative than I than I ever have. But I, I think you know, if I looked at a specific example, is this: if you take your eye off your pipeline and you're not consciously working on sales and in, in a service oriented business that can be detrimental to, to sort of sustaining your current. So I, I've run into that once before and very hard and you know it's not easy to dig yourself out of those holes. So yeah, you know, doing it 25 years, you know, you're going to 
you're going to run into these problems because it's very hard to be on your game 100% of the time, all the time. Right. Is there over the years, any single source that was kind of like the, the golden egg for how you were able to get or maintain clients? Get or mention. Yeah, we were doing content marketing way before most people did. So, you know, when I saw the potential of, of putting things out in the world and, and sharing those ideas, then I saw this sort of reciprocating sort of community building around those ideas. And, you know, a lot of people were using our code. And when we put code out and, you know, experiments that we were working on, people stayed engaged with us and, and wanted to work with us because we were just, you know, sort of open with some of our ideas. So, if I was to give most people that are trying to start a business or provide services, oftentimes it, it's it's not always what exactly you know. It's it's sort of the trials and tribulations of that and sharing that with an outside audience because most people want to work with people that have gone through a struggle, that they understand something, you know, that, that they've really figured out a problem because not because they've had just success. Some of that, you know, could be beginner's luck, but they have work through those struggles. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's where we, you know, when we started just sharing some of that and what we built and whatnot, and that was probably in 2006, seven, eight. And, and now there's content proliferation. It's really hard to cut through parts of the noise, but I still think when you provide something of unique value to people and you can have a conversation about the struggle, people want to hear about it. They want to work through those ideas with you because they want to avoid it themselves or two, they want to figure out what it means. Yeah, no, that's cool. And then one last question before we kind of get into our, our specific topic that we're going to hash out curious over the years, if you have any like one or two projects that stand out as the most fun or most enjoyable projects that you worked on. Well, I think the the cool thing about working on project work, it's not always the nature of the work that can be fun. It's the people, you know, you can work on projects that have a lot of dynamic energy and and fun. So one project that we worked on early, I think probably about 2002, I worked with a company called ClickTracks and the founder had put something on Craigslist. I don't know if the kids still are on the craziness of Craigslist, but at the time it was sort of this like, we're in conglomeration of people looking for jobs, selling, you know, tables and whatnot, but he, he wanted some icons and it started our relationship based on some icons and uh, created some cool icons. And then we just started doing all kinds of stuff together. And his business eventually, he sold it to a, a company and we would work together about four or five years. But the team that we had assembled with the types of characters on that team were just super enjoyable and fun because we were doing like trade shows, like giving away socks and doing crazy stuff with socks and, and, and doing all kinds of fun, like non-traditional business oriented things. And so, yeah, this is really fun to work with that team. And I thought the work came out really well, but if you look at more high profile things, we worked with Netflix and Hulu and Netflix, we did the just for kids at the time. We learned a lot in that process of, of delivering, say like a user experience to kids, you know, being able to take an episode and be able to show the last episode and show a progression of how much they watched in it. And then brands, kids understood brands and stickers and stuff like that. So we use sort of the brand thing, the character as a way to get to the content. And some of that stuff transferred into the main site by just simplifying the amount of metadata and things surrounding the content. And that's cool. Things like that are maybe not a full project, but like little contributions to the world. Yeah, Yeah. is a great example, not a client-specific one, but it was the first framework to try and bring responsive design to a tool set that enabled people to make websites for the desktop and phone. And, you know, that really influenced, you know, how I would say a lot of web pages are built. And there was a ton of frameworks that started emerging. Um, And then, you know, Google did their thing and everyone had a framework and whatnot, but a lot of those initial pain of trying to get through to figure out you know, how to make something that was repeatable and that IT team yeah. people can operate in. Yeah, we we went through a lot of trials and tribulations with with trying to do that. So that is an independent project was you know fascinating and, and, and completely like just trailblazing and and it, most people don't realize like people were hateful of what we were doing with Foundation for like the first year. 
They just, wow. what is this thing? This is a waste of time. Like, you know, and, and it's mainly because coders would be talking to us about why, why are you doing this? We, our specialty wasn't front end code. Like we were prototypers and made templates and stuff like that to try and facilitate and speed up a process. So, you know, the reason we built this stuff was to speed up our own process to help these companies get to solutions faster. And along the way, we kept improving the, the CSS and HTML and all that, that was part of it. But that would probably be considered one of the, the more fun projects we worked on, and, you know, as far as a team of people working on something. That's so cool. I remember using Zurb for years when I was more doing front-end work. And I just learned so much of like, you know, seeing seeing how you guys built something in Zurb and be like, hmm, it's a little too complicated for me to understand. So I'm going to build it my own way and just kind of like use it as kind of the base point to to kind of build off of, you know, something that I wanted to experiment on or what I wanted to build. Or sometimes I just wanted to like plug in and play and just like use it, use it out of the box. And I just like, yeah, I'm, I learned so much and got so much value just from, you know, that open source project. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like I owe you. I never had a business model figured out. And the thing is, we answered probably 30 to 40,000 tickets. Wow. Never, never charged people for it. Yeah. That's so cool. It's cool. I feel like, you know, from your perspective, learning, because we really had this desire to, to shape like, how people made stuff. And, you know, so I always remember a big lesson. I never thought like it emerged organically. I didn't have a business model tied to it in a way that made sense. So that's a whole other conversation in itself. But it's really cool when I hear those stories of people like, yeah, it was my first thing. And it was so fun to try and figure it out. And, you know, and I I made some of my own stuff. And, you know, that was always our perspective. It wasn't trying to dictate everything. It was more of a thematic idea of like how you can make stuff and here's a tool set that gave you those tools. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. So much value there in the open source. I think you guys had like a bug bounty at some point for like you guys would send all kinds of crazy stuff with it. It was, you know, at a certain point, you know. Yeah, I wasn't I just I wasn't this big like Igor had figured out the, a revenue model around the open source, and so you know it served as a way to sort of progress our, our connections to people. But it's still today, I, I think I can pretty much go around the globe, and people still are like open their doors to us just because. Like, oh yeah, I use that thing, right? It's just it's always <laughs> a it's a great experience. I mean, we it's so crazy. Like we went all over the place. Like you know, the White House, like. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Just, it's just, I don't know. It's, it was an amazing sort of rise. And, and so, you know, the, the market as a whole with frameworks and stuff, there's so many tools out there now, but we do have that little space in the folklore of, of web development that a lot of people still remember. I remember one time when I was working with a client. So I guess back up, I made like the SAS version of skeleton which was a really lightweight framework. And I just like, oh, this is cool. I use it in, you know, this this CSS preprocessor. So I I just I made that version of it, right? And that had a very small little amount of popularity that kind of felt big to me in, in a sense. The kind of the 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 peak of that experience for me was years later, I was working with a client and we were talking about things, going through the code, seeing how things had been built. And they had actually used the code that I wrote to make their front end. And we just like found out about it on the call. And it was just like the most, you know, serendipitous kind of coolest thing. And I'm just like, that is like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's the, those are the things as creators we get to experience and, and oftentimes in web work, you know, things expire and it's just one moment in time of something you've contributed. But when you do have those moments where it's like, oh, it's stuck around. Like that's, that's incredible. So, you know, that, the cool thing about Skeleton is actually, I, I, we, I, we might've talked to this before, but uh, Skeleton, Dave had worked for me. So really, yeah. So the bootstrap market, it, it, I trained Mark and I, I, I trained Dave and, and some of this stuff. And so, so foundation, Skeleton and bootstrap all had a derivative of 
Wow. Thinking mindset. These tools came from this thinking mindset of how do I get to answers quicker with a set that gives me like flexibility to get somewhere. And I think, you know, Bootstrap evolved a little bit more from an internal business culture at Twitter because they had different you know, prototyping needs and ours that need to be much more flexible to deal with all the sure. issues that surround different types of problems. And so you kind of see that in the code base and skeleton with much more of a um, pulled back personal sort of, if you were a developer, how would you maybe want to have it structured in your sort of full, full, it gave you much more control over what you were making. Yeah, so kind of, it does no, cool. Cool. So, I mean, I know that you've worked with a ton of clients. I've worked with a lot of clients and I think there's, there's always kind of rules of engagement or expectations that we want companies and design partners to be on the same page about, but would love to hear from you some mistakes that companies make when they are looking for their design partner. Yeah. This is such a relevant topic because we've seen so much of design, you know, companies have, have sort of built programs and they've sort of built the staff around, you know, making products. And so those disciplines have matured in, in businesses. And, and there's this, also this need of, of specialists and people that can create things that maybe don't have to be tied to the main business with sort of all the, you know, efforts of getting approvals and all that stuff. And so there's these unique opportunities, I think, for agencies and small firms to be able to help companies get unstuck and create great things and co-collaborate. So if I was to sort of look at our world, we've co-collaborated with a lot of teams for, I'd say, at least seven or eight years. That's been more of the sort of the, the mindset, but that creates all kinds of problems and, and new issues to deal with that didn't exist way back in the 2000s when, you know, nobody knew what they're doing. Those are a different set of problems. So I think we're in a much more mature space of, of making things, but there's still a long backlog of, of sort of process and and supporting, you know, making things that creates all kinds of issues for businesses. They want to create great things, but it's still very hard. It's not easy to do, even if you have a team of designers or product people or product engineers, still very difficult to, to do. And a lot of that comes down to some basic principles, I think, that, that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. One of the ideas is like trying to get to the answer too quick or trying to get to the product or the answer before flushing out the proper strategy. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen that more than once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so maybe speaking to some of the companies that are probably, you know, watching and a prime example is like meeting culture, right? Like some companies sort of devolved to this place where meetings sort of dictate the world. And what it creates is this sort of like space in which there's sayers and, and then there's doers and the doers sort of have to like get into these spaces of the sayers and the sayers keep saying things, right? And and so you get this sort of like strategy and go execute, right? Because trying to find the overlap, the doers never have time to actually do this stuff. And so there's this sort of like really divide. And they oftentimes companies go outside of that because they know it's a problem and they want to use a firm to help them figure these out, the, these problems out. So this concept, you know, I look at it in, in sort of a lens that has existed a long time in business. Peter Drucker was a sort of a business visionary and he, he saw a business as just a continuum of a whole bunch of activities happening. And there's a strategy part, which is what you should be doing. And then there's a tactical part, which is sort of what you should be doing next, which is the will. It, it's sort of like, how, how do we keep moving a business forward? And then there's this, the is part. There's an operational part that needs to happen. So like if you have customer service or there's a point of contact with the customer, it, you want as much consistency as possible. So you're not creating a bunch of variance, right? And so where a, a business sort of kind of devolves to is this sort of strategy of here's the strategy and then go execute because they have an operational plan that basically supports that doing part. From a design perspective, that doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room to figure it out. Either you're conceptually working at a strategy level in which people are dictating more of those things based on a business opportunity rather than a, a customer need. And then an implementation problem that is heavily burdened by all the production and the tools and the things on that delivery. So, so businesses get stuck here. And, and it's even if you come in as an outsider trying to support them, the, the best way to support them is create that will world that sort of like, here's where you should be going next. And how do you open that up? Because they're either the meeting culture or their team isn't really 
aware of how to do that because the process is limited. And so I see that businesses really get stuck here. And, and the first thing to do is, is realize that why they're getting stuck. So if, if you realize it, then you can start with a place of, of having an open conversation about this issue of, you know, quickly moving to production and not having the space to do it. And so, you know, oftentimes businesses need to be able to create that space for project owners, but building trust at that team to try and create those will moments of what, what they should be is really the objective of the, the agency is to really infuse a, a company with new ideas to be able to support that. Because they already have a team of people that are starting a core product. And, and a lot of those companies can do some of this work on, on their own, but an agency specifically has a unique ability to sort of unhinge or try to get them into a posture to be able to accept new change and be able to deliver good ideas that can help their business grow. So the, the first big struggle there is how do you get companies in this posture? How do you support them in this sort of breaking up their status quo of, of, of should and is and, and and inject it with, with will. Yeah. The funny thing about meetings is like meetings feel very, you know, productive and somewhat helpful when you don't know what the next steps are. Cause like, Oh, well, just get on and talk about it. But sometimes just getting on and talk about it just makes you feel better, you know, versus actually finding clarity. It's like, what did we talk about? What did we decide? Now I just have more questions. Right. So tell me about like strategies that you've used how to lead the conversation or how to run an exercise that kind of cuts through some clarity. Everyone has, you know, a process we've developed progressive design as a means of trying to tackle these problems is that when you put a more formal process in place to, to do it, I just said, then it creates space for, for ideas to start to emerge. So let's, you know, take a specific example of like a meeting, right? Uh, most meetings are set as an agenda to review something or, or maybe find alignment. We've said, no, that's great, but we can give you all that material ahead of time. What we're really trying to do is get feedback loops that, you know, we can agree to or not and figure out what, what feedback would be helpful to pushing something forward. So when we do meetings, it's typically in cycles of two to three days where there's an agenda where you're trying to push to a certain amount of work to be reviewed. And so the way we do that is it's a really simple idea. And I, I use this as a, as a framing is I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to tell you what I showed you. And, and so what this helps us do is create cadence in workflows where we're able to get people in alignment of an expectation. And so we use that framing device, whether it's, it's a sort of exploring opportunities, doing some need finding, doing a layout, doing some front end code. Doesn't matter. It's the same thing across everything. And so if you can train a team to say, Hey, no. This meeting is really about giving feedback. It's about structured debates and knowing how to give that feedback. If you put people in that posture, then it enables you to sort of build trust in, it, it gives you more flexibility to color outside the lines. Because most people are worried about you know, when doing a project, the, the beginning of it, right? Did I get all the people right? Did I set it up? Or, you know, do I have a timeline in, in the end? where they're stressed about delivery, trying to get it right. And, and so our job as a designer is to, to, to alleviate that stress, to try and build trust and then help them see that, you know, this process that's like chaotic, you know, design is nothing more than chaos controlled to a place that they can manage internally with a team of people that have expectations where they put money and resources to this thing. So that first part is structuring your debate, making it, the, the, the meat, not, not the thing that you do after the work. The, the work has to be in alignment with this feedback loop. If you don't do this, then it, it just derails a process. So I tell companies, it's like you need to be working with a, a company that can drive a process for you in a way that it's open, but also holds you accountable to a feedback loop. Yeah. 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 I imagine, you know, that a lot of these, you know, bigger corporate meetings and strategies and initiatives can tend to get caught up on, you know, issues and nitpicky things and going off the rails. Maybe you can kind of speak to some of that. Yeah. Well, first you got to bring the goods. So I always say bring the goods. So no meeting happens without the homework done. So 
that you get a leg up when you bring something to the table. So if I, you know, I'm on the company side and I'm trying to bring an agency, there should be no meetings without stuff, like stuff to work around and to find alignment and talk about. So that's an important concept. Sure. A lot of people like to send emails and stuff. They're like, I'll get to that thing or I'll do that thing. It's, you're always going to be chasing your tail. And so companies don't want that. They want to be able to be in a decision-making framework. So always bringing goods to the table. And, and so that's an important concept, I think. The second is, is that when you do that in a product world where you're delivering things, that gives you somewhat of an upper hand. Now, the, the question is, is how do you use that? And you have to be a good facilitator. So when you're trying to figure out how to work in new ideas or get people bought into a concept, you really need to be able to facilitate the, the feedback. You need to ask people in, in, in the room, you know, what, what's going on? So Seth, how are we doing? Like we're halfway in this, you know, do you feel like we're going in the right direction with this interview and this conversation? Or would you like to go somewhere else? And how, you know, do you, do you want to lean more into the feedback loop or should we go on to our new topic? So I can talk to you in a genuine way about where we're going in the conversation and drive the conversation. And I'd say most designers struggle with this, but companies should look for, you know, firms and agencies that can really drive a conversation as much as they can drive the work. Because web work and digital work is, is very much about agreements and, and getting processes to work with sustained sort of technical bits. Yeah, one thing we find is that our preferred type of engagements is that where we can be highly engaged in collaborating with companies because there's so much give and take, concession, understanding context that you're going to have to negotiate through figuring out a scope of work or a project. The whole thing's a negotiation. Every the day whole, is yeah, the whole thing. Yes. And so this idea of, you know, an agency coming in to do, you know, two months of work and then they're going to hand it off at the end. Those are always going to fail, right? Or one way or another. And yeah, just the, the only way that we found success working is, is by having the kind of that tight knit feedback loop, either, you know, daily working with people or having some sort of cadence where we get feedback, understanding, direction, compromise, and then on to the next piece. Right. Right. This is a simple concept and it's oftentimes lost on designers and it's to be expected that you need a, a certain amount of persuasion to move work forward. And so I call it the because statement. So you have to think about anything you produce has a because. And if you don't know what the because is, you really can't present it. You can't really talk about it in a way that's going to move it forward. So, you know, in those sort of delivery of work where you say, you know, here's this thing we made. If you reframe the entire conversation about the because and the feedback you've got around the because, it, it's going to help the company tremendously because they're, the, the company is meant to make decisions. They're, they're trying to figure out how to make decisions in some kind of framework that they've built in an operational structure. So this putting an agency in to disrupt things can cause all kinds of frictions and problems if there's no way to take that disruption and create an outcome. So. An agency's job is really to create disruption and get someone to a point where they can manage that disruption in, in an operation. So that, that means there's a lot of trust building in this exercise of having these conversations and that feedback needs a lot of like benefits tied to it of, you know, challenging the assumptions and then being able to show why something works or doesn't work and be able to have a realistic conversation. The, the other thing an agency needs to be able to present is a lot of wrong things. This is where I think a lot of agencies, you know, people hire an agency to get it right. But if I'm a company, that's not good because so much of web development is about in, in building products and learning is about getting it wrong. So, you know, the mindset has to be in the feedback loop of what did we learn from this? How does it, how do we get better? What can we do differently to mitigate sort of the downsides of, of just making dumb stuff? And too often I know people want to pay someone based on their expertise to make something, but I can tell companies, I've been doing this 25 years. In every project or anything I've ever worked on, there's always new things to learn. There's always new ways to do it. So bringing failure as a structured way into a project is really important. And that only happens with a feedback loop. If you don't have a good feedback loop, you can't talk that out. There's no way to do it. You're going to be in a defensive posture the entire time. 
Yeah. No, I kind of to your your earlier point of, you know, just having a, a level of, you know, understanding, self-awareness, persuasion. I it reminds me of the guy who like first found out that you should wash your hands for like, you know, cleanliness and like disinfection. Right? right. And it's funny. I think I think the point of that story is that he discovered that he had that idea or it came to that conclusion and he told everyone in his hospital about it, but he was such a jerk that no one listened to him and no one, you know, adopted it for like another like 20 years or, you know, some crazy thing like that. And it's like, I think for us as designers or agency owners or, or whatever, it's like, it's not about being right. It's about having the right temperament and persuasive skills to be able to guide to the right direction. Yeah, you're you're right on. Is I tell my team this is I don't really care to be right. It's not even interesting. And in fact, it's a dead end. What I do care about is how do I get a better answer? And if I have a process to get to a better answer, I'm never going to be stuck in a hole. I, 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 there's always a way to move forward. And so I try to I try to help people understand this is a general life posture. If if you have ways to solve problems and ways to understand people around you, you're never left in just dire straits. There's always a new thing you can do. I mean, the simple way to frame this is if you know how to Google, like it does amazing things for you because you can start to figure out how to solve problems, but you have to know how to Google and know how to search your things. You know, so I tell people this is, you know, if if you have a skill of Googling, I, I look at that as high proficiency in problem solving. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think another point is like, these are usually not binary right or wrong solutions, right? It's, it's, you know, good, better, 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 best. And it's just kind of like the scale of this could work, but there's probably something out there that could work better, could work worse. So how do we find on the scale where it is? Yeah. And, and, and going back to our original concept here, this idea that businesses really struggle with this is, you know, oftentimes a business is in that is mindset when they're trying to produce something and, their, their truth is that is. That's what they deliver. The struggle with that, though, is a business is evolving. And so it might have a value structure and a value is sort of, you know, how they do the business, but the business kind of has to keep changing along this continuum. And so how do you build trust and how do you find an agency to support you through that? Because you, you need to kind of break some of that apart to be able to either deliver more efficiently or figure out the market has changed and there's new ways to get to something. And that can be very, very stressful to a business. So, you know, learning these feedback loops and building that trust and keeping that dialogue open enables these harder problems to be addressed. And so as you get the harder to problem sets, you can tackle them with a lot more, you know, say courage and even up to synchronicity with a group of people if they're willing to accept sort of the negative feedback that might come from anything you might produce. The question is, how much can you adapt? How fast can you work through those struggles? And I'd say a good agency would know how to adjust and a, a good company is open to the possibilities that you're not trying to get everything perfect. You're, you're trying to work through a relationship in which you can produce better things. Have you ever had to have a time where you cut off a company or ended the engagement because you could see that they weren't going to be a good fit, whether it be, you know, feedback, proper feedback loop or, team integration or alignment or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you've been doing this for 25 years at a certain point, you know, you've been dating a lot of people, right? You know, you're trying to affect <laughs> the types of relationships are that work. And so you start to get pretty good at knowing where there'd be potential conflict and struggle. Sometimes you take that struggle on just because you know what it is. It doesn't make it any easier. But I'd say... For the most part, as you get more mature as a business, you start to attract more of the types of people that align to how you do it. And if you're better yep. at your storytelling, you get more people that understand the unique value you can produce. But when you're first starting, I think you have to kind of figure out a lot more about what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and know that those are contributors to the struggle and in any kind of engagement. I think a lot of businesses go in hiring an agency with a kind of an, an a set expectation of what they want made, but they don't always yeah. have an idea of what the outcomes are. They haven't visualized those. And so that's where it starts getting tricky because if 
if your job is to push people to better outcomes and that visualization isn't a set of deliverables that are sort of quantifiable anymore, but the outcome is more important, then you have to work with a lot of people in a trust-based relationship where you're trying yeah. to them. And that, that can be re- really hard because you're taking them off course in a way that, you know, those line items don't exist anymore. They, they've kind of, you've moved the needle. And so I would say, how do you get there? Well, I'd say in many cases, try to create as much value in showing a process up front as you can so that you can build that trust. Be flexible enough to know that you're not going to be able to dictate everything from an agency's perspective early on. You don't quite understand the constraints people have when they're trying to make something. And being sort of someone that creates in a business, we have our own products. You don't want to cut off your people from coming up with great ideas, but you also kind of need to get to a certain place. So you're sort of walking this tightrope of your budget, your time to try and get to a result. And so there's a negotiation that's constantly happening, but sometimes as a company, there's really hard fixed things that need to happen. Like there needs to be coordination with an engineering team. There needs to be a marketing rollout to something. So, you know, a, a company has really hard fixed things because they're trying to find agreement across their business. And so, you know, sometimes that's trying to figure out how do you support someone through V2, V3, or trying to create a vision in which you can satisfy the initial goals with constraints and a timeline that, that meets their objectives. And, and it may not be your best work or you may not feel like it's your best work, but that's where the business is and it's what they need. So I would say, yeah. Trying to understand and be open to the idea that companies really have fixed problems. They can't be on a call all day long negotiating with their other business partners, trying to figure out how something gets you know, done, even if it's a great idea. So trying to figure out how you sign up for V2, V3 starts becoming the challenge. Is, you know, can you prove that, that you have value? Can you provide insight? Can you create enough of a solution that enables you to do something bigger? So yeah, I found that, that that really helps. And that goes back to our original conversation. If you have a good feedback loop and you can be honest and work in spaces that have conflict and have wrong answers, then you're going to be much better at having those conversations later as projects evolve because there's no hard conversation that you can't tackle. Yeah, that's super good. Well, Brian, this has been incredibly insightful for myself and I'm sure for others I really appreciate you coming on and and chatting with us. So again, thank you so much for that. And thank you for your investment in the community. Wanted to give you kind of the final take and the final word here before we sign off. But again, thank you for your time. Awesome. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed having these conversations with you. Whatever I can do to support people, dedicate yourself to something and, and lean into it and, you know, figure out what it is, what it does, try your hardest, and then know that life is kind of a fun, fun game and that you get to keep pivoting and try and do different things. But if anything, I can give advice to people is lean into something and try to get good at it. Try to learn how to be good at it and and then use that as your guidepost. And if you hate it, at least you tried something you wanted to try and figure out what it was all about. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, More to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.